Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Psalms 105, Psalms 105, and uh, we're going to begin from the 26th verse, the Amplified Version. The psalmist is opening a conversation of a testimony that the Lord uh, had done with the children of Israel, touching their years of bondage under Pharaoh. And it begins in the 26th verse, and it says that he sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They showed his signs, among them wonders and miracles in the land of Ham, which is Egypt. He sent thick darkness and made the land dark, and they, God's two servants, rebelled not, against his word. He turned Egypt's water into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came swarms of beetles and flies and mosquitoes and lice in all their borders. He gave them hail for rain with lightning like flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also in their fig trees and broke the ice-laden trees of their borders. He spoke, and the locusts came, and the grasshoppers, and that without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land. The beginning and chief substance of all their strength was eaten. He brought forth Israel with silver and with gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. And 38 says, Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon the people. <laughs> Praise God. I don't know. Something grips my spirit when I read the 38th verse, that Egypt was glad when they departed. When the children of Israel departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon the people. Egypt was glad. We're talking about a state, a situation, where your enemy starts to celebrate that you have gone, you are free. Your enemy starts to celebrate that you have left their boundary, you have left their area of function. You are far from them because the ones that desired to put you into slavery are now celebrating that you're out of their lives because you've brought misery. I'm talking of the God who is able to turn your story, that the things that you used to fear and have tormented you start fearing you and tormenting you. The things you used to run away from and fretted now start to run away from you and fret you. That's the God I'm talking about. But to give us a deeper background of this, today I came to speak to a particular people, but also specifically of a particular spirit that I've seen around our lives, the lives of many believers. And this is the thing that sometimes becomes so stubborn. I'm talking about rebellious spirits or spirits that become so hardened against an individual. I'm talking about those things that can stay in your life for one year, two years, three years. If it's a disease, it starts to become stubborn. You know, if it's a state of being, 
it starts to become stubborn. If it's an addiction, it starts to become stubborn. You look back years later and see that something has become so stubborn around your life. You know, even individuals that sometimes are in our lives, in the course of our destinies, sometimes Satan uses so, so much. And it's almost as though they don't hurt you once, they don't hurt you twice. They sort of live and exist just to frustrate the life of a believer and sort of deal cavalier with you. Their attitude is dishonorable and they continue to spite and frustrate your spirit. And it happens one year, it happens two years, it happens three years, it happens five, ten years. Same thing, same person is frustrating you. Twenty years, the same thing, same person is frustrating you. Tonight I have good news for you. Tonight I have a testimony, a wonderful testimony that I pray by God. When your eyes are open to this, something is going to shift in your understanding and it's going to direct the way you will pray. Pharaoh was such a spirit. Pharaoh was such a spirit. He was the kind of man that even when God had sent Aaron, Moses, his servants, and told them, go to Egypt and free my people, Moses, of course, leading the pack. We get there and Moses is very clear before Pharaoh. He tells him, look, let God's people go that they might worship him. And Pharaoh became hardened in his heart. He refused to release the children of God. And what happened? Plagues against plagues. Pestilences against pestilences. And with every pestilence and plague, it's almost as though it seemed Egypt has had enough. But at the end of the day, you find that, again, Pharaoh is frustrating. He continues to frustrate the children of Israel and the word that God had spoken through his servant, Moses. Times without number, God has made their water blood, their fishes have died, things are dying left, right, and center, and they just don't get it. To a point where Moses comes back and tells him, look, if you refuse to release the children of Israel, locusts will be sent. All right? And locusts come. And they devour everybody. They devour everything. And he still refuses. In fact, at one point in Exodus chapter 10, verses 7, the wise men and the servants of Pharaoh come to him and they say, Look, how long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. And he tells him, Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Don't you see that the world is getting destroyed? The nation is getting destroyed. Our children are dying. Things are failing. Things are going out of course. The world is filled with the vengeance and judgments of God against Egypt. Why don't you let the children of Israel go? And Pharaoh still refused. Pharaoh still refused. And if you have lived long enough, you will find that there are people who are so used of the devil that it does not matter what happens in their lives, even for God to prove to them that they have set themselves against him as God himself by touching his own. They will never quit until they themselves are destroyed or they will put up a fight that so will cost many lives. And this is the thing about Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's disobedience for God cost many, many, many lives. Many, many, many lives died because one man refused to let go. One man refused to release the children of God. The enemy is 
in position to lose too much, too much by holding on to the anointed. He is at risk of losing too much of his own and of his own substance if he stands against those that the Lord has chosen for his deliverance. But you see, Satan doesn't care. Unfortunately, he uses individuals. Unfortunately, he uses things that we have attachment to. And that becomes costly in the long run. And beyond even just individuals, there's somebody watching me. You have had a disease for so many years. You have prayed. You have believed. You have fasted. You have sowed your seed. You've gone to prayer mountains. You've gone into the valleys. You went to overnights. You went to evening prayers. You went to deliverance services. You went to prophetic meetings. You went to every kind of thing. Those seems as though it's releasing you only for a while, and then it comes back and afflicts, and afflicts, and afflicts, and afflicts, and afflicts. Somebody watching me, probably you can go back and examine and make an audit on your life and see that you've had a very frustrating life on your finances. It's almost as though you come out of one thing and enter another. You come out of one thing and enter another. And this thing around your home, your family, your ministry, it starts to become stubborn. It starts to become stubborn. It starts to rebel itself against you and what you represent before God. You're the one I came to address. You're the one I came to talk with. You are the one I felt in my spirit that I needed to share this message with. Pharaoh insisted and persisted on the children of Israel. He became a big disease. He became a frustration. He became a challenge. He became a challenge. Until God squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed from the locusts, now the death of the firstborns, the children of the Egyptians died. And scripture tells us in Exodus 12 verses 30, he says, And Pharaoh rose up that night after he was dead, and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Imagine it, just think it, that in every house of Egypt, somebody had died. There was weeping in the air. People were loathing in pain, parents holding their dead in their hands. And there's one man whose heart is still hardened against the will of God, even after everything has happened. He's still hardened, all right? And the Bible says, Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people and both you and the Israelites and go and serve the Lord as you have said. And verses 32 says, And take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone and ask your God to bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to depart that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We are all dead men. You see, even the Egyptians were tired of anybody called a Jew. They were urgent with the people to depart. Go if you have to leave, leave now. Because they knew there was no time or moment of peace when the Jew was still with them. Again, it baffles me that God can deal with the Egyptian to the level where the ones that they have desired to enslave and keep in their own households to dig their vines and fields and now the ones that they are so desperate and urgent with to depart because God has intervened in the issue of his people. And that is how it shall be. 
I decree and I declare in the name of Jesus Christ right now that God is going to cause something. If you're going through anything that has frustrated you for long, I speak upon your life and tell you that God is going to cause a flood. God is going to cause a wind. God is going to cause something that is going to make your enemy have an urgency for your departure, have an urgency for you to live their lives. And if it is disease, God is going to cause something in your life that is going to cause that disease to leave you, to desire to leave you, to want to depart from you, to want to have nothing to do with you. Our God is able to set anything, to go against anything, to set terror, to set fear on anything that sets itself against your course, your mind, and your vision as a child of God. Many times we have Christians who are living the other way around. They live the opposite of that. They live the opposite of, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. Oh God, help me from this, deliver me from that. But God is able to send a terror on those things and people that are frustrating your life, that now it is them that seek to leave you, that it is them that seek to depart from you. And this is what exactly happened with the children of Israel. When the time of a person's deliverance is come, there is nothing in the world that devil can do. If God has to do anything or send forth anything for your deliverance, he would do it. Because when he has made up his mind to deliver, he surely delivers to the end. That is the God we serve. It's the fear. It's that terror. In Genesis uh, chapter 35, the Bible speaks of a time of Jacob. Okay, And if we begin from the first verse, one day God tells Jacob to arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto the God that appeared unto him when he fled from his brother Esau. And then Jacob, the Bible says, said unto his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And indeed, let us arise and go up to Bethel and I'll make there an altar unto God who answered me in the days of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Seshem. Now the Bible says, and they journeyed. Now I want you to listen to this. The Bible says, they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So these cities could have pursued the sons of Jacob. These cities could have desired to attack Jacob. But God placed so a fear on Jacob and his sons that it was not possible for any city to touch them. In fact, on one account, when Jacob is speaking to Laban about the ordeal that he underwent, the frustrations that he underwent under serving that man, which was, of course, a thief, who was a cheat. At one point, Jacob tells Laban, had not the God of my father Abraham been with me and the fear of Isaac been upon me, you should not have released me. In other words, even though Laban served another God, and that is why later when he starts to chase after them, we see that he tells them, I want my gods for they were stolen. There was a fear of God on the life of Jacob that was evident in the spirit, that could not allow Laban to overstep even his evil on that man. He said, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely you would have sent me away now empty. 
In other words, there was something, there was a fear of God that sat on Isaac and was transferred unto Jacob. And when you saw Jacob, there was something of his father's that was upon him that Laban could not afflict. Laban could not set beyond a certain boundary. And indeed, if Laban probably did this without the knowledge of what was happening, the spirits that were at work in the life of Laban felt it that there was something on this man that you could simply just not frustrate to the end. And that's the thing about being a child of God, that there is a fear that comes upon your life, that even those who set themselves against you, the things that set themselves against you, they have a preset consciousness in them that we can't go beyond this way because we know who this is. They can only destroy you if you do not know who you are. And that is why Jesus insists that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That is why we teach the word. For you to know what you're made of. Children of Israel had a certain fear. And what Pharaoh had aimed for bad, God turned into good. Remember, even when he releases them, he still sends an army against them to destroy them. To destroy them. And what happens? The waters part for the children of Israel. They cross and the Egyptians and their sons drowned by the multitudes. Because Pharaoh would not let the children of Israel go. And what he had intended to frustrate for generations, for years, became a testimony for the children of Israel. In every city and place they went, there was a fear of God upon them because that marked something in history that no Gentile kingdom would easily ignore. In the time of Rahab, when the spies are sent out to go and march out through the land and spy the land, they were sent to march and spy the land. You see a place where they go into the household of Rahab. And Rahab realizes that these spies are Jews. And in Joshua, chapter 2, verses 9, if you read in the Amplified Version, the Bible says, She said to those men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and who were on the east side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. They said, we know what God has done with you. When we heard it, the Bible says, our hearts melted, neither did our spirit or courage remain anymore in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above, even beneath. And she made a prayer and says, Now I pray unto you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a sure sign and save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all they have and deliver us from death. And indeed the Lord had that prayer and Rahab's household was saved. But this is what I wanted you to see, that what Pharaoh had for ignorance in the hardening of his heart against the will of God for the deliverance of the children of Israel, God released a damage on Egypt that sent out fear across the world and for many generations reminded any kingdom in which they stepped, any place in which they stepped, that there are a people who don't fight alone. 
There are men and women. There are people who don't come alone. There are people who don't stand alone. There are people who have an invisible power that fights for them way beyond ideas can explain. This is what happened. This is exactly what happened. That what Pharaoh intended for damage on the children of Israel instead turned as a damage and a testimony on their lives on the terror that the children of Israel carry in every nation they go if anybody should set themselves against them. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God of Israel. He's the God that preserved his people for generations and up to today for those of us who know present history. When it touches Israel, Israel has gone through too much. It has had enemies on every side. Its borders have been attacked by all kinds of people. But up to today, Israel still stands as a nation because they have a God who founded it. They have a God behind this that is way bigger than any hand, any weapon or arsenary. And that is the God I'm talking about. That is the God I'm talking about. That is why in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 25, the Amplified says, This day will I begin to put dread and fear of you upon the peoples who are under the whole heavens, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. From then on, the children of Israel, wherever they went, there was always a fear that touched the Jew. Why did Hitler kill six million Jews? He killed six million Jews because they were a threat. And not because they had guns and weapons, no. But because their wisdom was intimidating. Their intelligence was intimidating. Their strengths were intimidating. Their numbers were intimidating. Their families were intimidating. Everything around them were intimidating. Because there was such goodness, there was such blessedness on their lives that provoked any Gentile nation to look and say, hmm, there's something special about these people. Now, let's come to the New Testament. You're more than a Jew by blood if that Jew does not have a relationship with God. The Bible says, for he is not a Jew who is just a Jew outwardly. He is a Jew who is a Jew inwardly. You are a child of God by faith. The Bible says you were grafted in. You were grafted in. And because you're grafted in, you're fully supplied by the God who preserved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes people look so much at the situations and challenges that surround them and the people that are against them that they don't actually have a consciousness of who exactly they are and how these things and people that are against them have to see them. Okay? You remember the first spies that go to spy the land? The Bible says we were as grasshoppers, and so were we in their eyes. Because they saw themselves as grasshoppers, they said to appear as grasshoppers, you know, to the people of the land, all right? But then you see Joshua and Caleb with another spirit. They enter the same land and they're saying, ah, we're able to conquer this. This is our place. We have the victory over this because they are hedged on the promise. They are attached to the promise with which God has given them as the children of Israel. Now, Sometimes the things that stick on you, whether a situation has stuck on you for years and months and all this, sometimes it goes back to how do you see yourself in light of who you are in God and in the same understanding how they, the things that are setting themselves or people against you, should see you in God. Sometimes you must carry a consciousness 
In fact, you must pity anything or anybody that sets themselves against you. Because God has proved through his word that he's ready to avenge any sort of disobedience that sets itself against you as a child of God. So yes, things have ensued for years and for many years you've been dealing with challenges and frustrations, left, right, and center of things that have refused to leave you. But what has the word of God said? If it says, by his stripes you were healed, all right? And a disease continues and frustrates your life for years, maybe, just maybe, your understanding of this disease also raises questions. How do you understand this disease? Do you understand that disease in light with what the scientists have said? Or do you understand that disease in light of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you and what that disease sees when it sees Christ in you and you in Christ? Sometimes the things that are frustrating us know who we are, but they also ride on the ignorance of the fullness of the understanding of who we are in Christ because then we're given a very different lens of understanding when we're addressing them. Sometimes I have a frustration when I sit down a believer and I open the scriptures for them. I tell them, look, this thing cannot destroy you. It has a testimony of who you are. You have a bigger testimony. If the fear of God, the terror of God, sat on the children of Israel because of what God did through Moses, this is even bigger. God came in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only true son of God, full of grace and truth. If what happened in the days of Moses was a threat to many kingdoms to come, and the children of Israel would march through kingdoms without any affliction on them, or would go through places and take over and conquer because already they are addressing men who have fear for them. In fact, Rahab said, we know that this land is already yours. Why? Because there was a rumor that had moved through these lands even before the Jews had conquered it, that if the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has given to the children of Israel this land. The inhabitants know it's a waste of time. They have to hand it over, either in a more civilized way or in a forceful way. Either way, they had to let it go because it was given by God. Now, how much more Jesus Christ? Jesus came. He came 100% God, and he came in the flesh and did a notable event in human history. One. He understood the origin of sin because he is God. And he knows that the wages of sin is death. He knew it. And then he comes as the gift of God. When he comes as a gift of God, he comes to give you eternal life. Eternal life. He says, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wish somebody understands what that means. Jesus did not just come to heal you of cancer. He came to deal with that thing that could have given you cancer in the first place. Hallelujah, glory to God. Hallelujah, glory to God. So he is wounded for your transgressions, the Bible says. He's bruised for your iniquities. The Bible says him own self, the Bible says he bore our sins in his body. He carried our grief. And our pains, 
okay? He knew that to deal with sickness, I'm not just going to come with the power to heal the sick. Listen, the testimony of Christ becomes bigger when we understand what was done at the cross in the death and resurrection. Not only what happened when he was walking the surface of this earth. When he was walking the surface of this earth, he was healing the sick. When he shed his blood for you, and Jesus died, and he was raised by the Spirit of God, what happened in hell, making a public spectacle of them all, and shaking them a note to nothing? When he comes back with the victory and the keys of death, he did not just come to take away disease from you. He killed that life of disease and the testimony of death of your life. So when we're talking about the believer, we're not even talking about the miracle of divine healing. We're talking about the power of divine health, the power and glory of God on your life to keep you healthy until the day you leave this earth. This is bigger than simply being healed. So how then do we even compare that to the situation and state of Pharaoh in the times of Israel, that would be so dull, incomparable to what this Jesus did. The more disease is supposed to fear you, the more sickness is supposed to fear you. If you have carried disease for two, three, four, five, ten years, you understand what I'm saying. There are people that are living on drugs every day. There are people that are living on operations and surgeries every day. There are people that cannot live without certain treatments. If they don't live with those treatments for a week, they are gone. They are dead. They've been warned by doctors, the best doctors there are, who all mean well, that if you don't take this thing today or tomorrow, you're going to die. That is not supposed to be the life of a new creation. We know of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for even though he was rich, the Bible says, but for your sex he became poor, that through his poverty, he owned poverty. He possessed poverty, which was not his nature. He took that poverty that you might become rich. So how can you even be cautious of the financial issues? Jesus did not just come to make you rich. He came to make sure that you will never be poor another day. That's what he did. He came to make sure that you will never be poor another day. There's a difference. There's a difference. So, yes, some of you have been in perpetual poverty. You're coming out of one job into another. You're coming out of one state of poverty into another state of poverty. Today you're fired here, tomorrow you look here, you do a business here and that business died and it's frustrated. And then tomorrow you try to do something else and then that gets frustrated too. And you're living that life of perpetual death. And Jesus is saying, not only did I carry your poverty that you might be rich, I intend to make sure that poverty will never be your nature, your story, your testimony ever again. I wish even those who assume to understand this understood it as it's supposed to be understood. Because some people claim to understand things that are not reality in their lives. You'd never carry a consciousness of lack ever again. It doesn't matter whether your account does not have money. It doesn't matter whether you were fired yesterday. It doesn't matter whether your business is out and you're in negatives or you have a bank loan and they're going to take your properties. You will never worry any other day. And when that peace starts to come in your spirit of a convinced mind that knows what exactly God has done, amazing things start to happen in your life in an effortless way. Things start coming faster than you can count because that's what he has ordained for you. 
That's what he has ordained for you. In Luke, the Bible says that he came to deliver us from those that hate us. He came. He sent a horn of salvation to deliver you and I from those that hate us, that we should be saved, the Bible says, from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. That's Luke 171. That means when Jesus came, you are free from anybody, anybody that could ever set themselves against you. It doesn't matter whether they have the best media in the world. It doesn't matter whether they have the best connections in the world. It doesn't matter whether they're the best debaters in the world and have the best language and English and semantic. It doesn't matter whether they have the best argument against you. It doesn't matter whether they even have the greatest proof against you. God had said, you have been delivered from anyone that hates you. No man not walking in love can set himself against you and win. It cannot happen. All cold-blooded animals are slower. They cannot run for long because they need a certain metabolism, a certain heat in them, all right? And there's a reason why Satan is represented as a serpent. And the seed of the woman, which is warm-blooded, shall crush the head of the serpent. Evil will always lose against good. Good will always outlive and outlast evil. You will have a day one day where you wake up and look at the things that have been frustrating you, the things that were disturbing you, and look back and there will be no more. And even better, you shall be restored, refilled, than ever before, that you look back and see that not only have you been delivered from those things, but you have time and God has availed eons, periods, in the realm of the Spirit for you to celebrate and live in the freedom with which he has given you in Christ Jesus. You have to believe this. So, when you understand what Jesus has done, sometimes you must know that there are things that are in your life simply because you've not made the choice to deal with them. Oh, but apostles have prayed. No, but if you pray in ignorance, oh, I've believed and confessed, but if you confess in ignorance, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. And that is why we come to give you knowledge every Thursday, every Sunday. By adventure, I'm hoping that for every time I stand before you and I'm given the opportunity to share this word, something in your eyes of understanding will start opening deeper and deeper. And shells will start cracking day by day as your vision becomes clear. Because when your vision becomes clear, when a man's vision is clear, there is nothing that can be withheld from them if they so desire it. Jesus did more than what Moses did. And the testimony of Christ for the church is way bigger than the testimony of Pharaoh and Moses. Jesus did way more. He came that you and I might have life. He came to make dead men live. You and I are alive because of that man. And so the reason why I share these things is there is a consciousness, the Bible says, that is void of offense toward God. There is something that happens in the spirit realm, regardless of how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you do whatever you do. If your conscience is against God, and how do we have a conscience against God? Our consciences are against God when what we believe about God is not true about him. 
and even with the best intentions, because what we believe has been handed over to us by people who sometimes are unskilled and inexperienced and do not have the full story of this. Our expectation is cut short, even though it's not supposed to be cut short because of the revelation that is hit to our spirits every day. The responsibility of the church as ministers is to preach the expectation that is aligned to the mind of God, that people will not come short in anything touching God's goodness and faithfulness and promises. For all the promises in him are yea and amen to the glory of the Father. I have exercised myself over the years to have a conscience that does not set itself against the will and purposes of God concerning my life. Oh, so what if you wake up and feel pain? So what if your body manifests all the signs that the doctors said will manifest? And predictably, you start to go the way that the doctors said you're going to go. Are you going to still choose God? Or at one particular point, are you going to still draw back and agree with what men say? You see, there are many Christians right now, as I'm speaking this, who might even think, who is this fellow? Why does he even say the words he's saying? Look, the word of God gives us that boldness to believe. No man can believe God as he must believe God and fail. It's not God to fail a man. He said they that believe shall never be put to shame. I cannot be ashamed by God. I cannot be ashamed by God. If he says by his stripes I was healed, it does not matter what the doctor says. It does not matter. I believe God. I believe God. If he says I'm rich, it doesn't matter what has happened in the world and the economies that are dying. Let them die all they want. I'll still believe there is a rising up for me. Why? Because I know what Jesus did. Some of us sell the testimony of Christ so cheaply and so low that God does not know how to fit in our small-sized faiths. Believe God. Dream big. Confess big. Live free. Wake up every morning to speak words that will even make your room shake and will shudder any devil around you. Why? Because he has given you that right to profession. He has given you that right to confess all things in him because he said, all are yeah and amen. All are yeah and amen. So I'm persuaded of greater things that accompany us, even our salvation. I'm persuaded. The church has to get to a point where we are persuaded. Yes, the world is without hope. And some of you who watch news, CNN, Al Jazeera, and all this, you look at television and hear what mathematicians are saying, what scientists are saying, what biologists are saying, and you know, economists are saying, and your heart would almost fail of fear. A time has come where even the most notable news programs should turn now to testify of the testimony of the children of God, that in every door that you enter, every place that you will go, every opportunity that shall come to you, you'll come with a certain fear of God that will not allow you to fail regardless. God did not give you that marriage to fail. He did not give you that business to fail. He did not give you that job to fail. He did not give you that ministry to fail. You will never fail. There will always be enough for your vision. 
I always tell people that God liberated me years ago when he opened my spirit to fully understand his vision concerning my life, his dream concerning my life. I'm talking about his dreams of me. When you understand what God thinks about you, you become free. So every time you hear me confessing, I cannot fail. I'm not convincing myself. No, I'm celebrating with gratitude because I know I cannot fail. And the Bible says, and the Egyptians were glad that the children of Israel had departed. May disease start to be glad that it has left you. May poverty start celebrating that it has left you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. May frustration and depression celebrate that it has left you. May it never think to turn your direction again if there's any suggestion touching your name. Like the Spirit said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. May you also go on that list where the devils know that when your name is mentioned, you're the place where they'll all gnash their teeth saying, please do not send us there for we know the consequences of that man or the consequence of attacking that woman in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you because your word has gone out with power. Your word has gone out with power. And I'm persuaded more than ever before in the mighty name of Jesus that you are touching, you're delivering. And now I want to address those things in your life who is listening that have stood for so long, whether they're addictions, whether it's a health issue, blood disease, an incurable blood disease. I see cancer being healed. I see HIV being healed. Whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a marriage issue, whether it's a child issue, a barren woman, regardless of what has been frustrating you for so long, tonight the word of God comes to judge that. And I decree upon your life in the name of Jesus Christ that you are free to serve your God. Receive it. Receive it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. It's done. It's done. It's done in the mighty name of Jesus. And for those of you that are watching me right now and you've never given your life to Christ, how can you ignore the greater work, the greatest event in human history, Christ coming in the flesh, shedding his blood for you that you might live? I want to give you an opportunity to give you an invitation to receive this Lord, this man, Jesus. And if you're there and you say, you know, I want to receive him. I want to be born again today. I want to pray with you right now. Now, 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 today, today, today. And I want you to repeat these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and you were raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The Amen. message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 
466-4291 or email us at funerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. <laughs>